0: Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic: The Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike on the line with me, elite, elated, and elite. Uh, my good buddy, producer extraordinaire, Cameron Coy, How's that new rotation treating you, buddy?
1: Oh, dude, great! And like you know, we're recording a little bit later. It feels like like this is our brunch that we've had instead of early breakfast, and I'm appreciating the early conversations we've had.
0: Yeah, carve me off some of that prime rib to go with my scrambled eggs. Let's go. right? Um, Dude, Midnight Hunt is upon us. Other sets that I don't even want to say the names of behind us. It's it's a brand new day, Cameron. I don't know that I've felt Mm -hmm. this good since the day after the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Just walking on sunshine. (laughs) Let's hear it, man. What have you been up to with regards to the new set?
1: All right, so I pre-released and played pretty well. I went three and one. Um, you know, pretty happy with that. Uh, I played a green red thing that had some vampires. I, I, I would say like my deck. The theme was all over the place. I was using all the mechanics of green and red. Um, everything from the, the like I said, the vampires to the coven mechanic to um, werewolves and transforming. Overall, first impressions impressions with sealed is that it's a breath of fresh air. Uh, thematically, I love everything that's going on. This coming out in September, I don't know. It was a nice, crisp, fallish night on Friday. Like feeling those sorts, I was getting some vibes with just nice. like everything nice. with with Midnight Hunt. It was great. Um, overall. I like the set. I like most of the mechanics. I I find the 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 day and night cycle to be on paper a little I wouldn't say confusing, but it's just like one additional thing that you kind of have to watch similar to The Monarch or you know these other like yeah. things where it's like here's a global thing that's happening. And you have to pay attention to it. Did this trigger it? This, did this not? Um, and I felt like um, there were misplays on my side and on my opponent's sides as far as like how that kind of works. Where um, I haven't really played any of the day for night stuff yet in Arena. But I would assume that it's a lot more fluid and automatic and you don't even really know how that's working. So... That would be like my one like little criticism is, once again, I feel like we have a mechanic that is perfectly suited for a digital product, but doesn't 100% translate easily uh, for the paper. And not that so, it needs to, but yeah. I, I,
0: just to interject, because a lot of people have said, oh, the new mechanic is strictly better because all the things transform at once. I don't know that I find that to be true now that I've played with it, but apparently the thing that's driving this is Commander. Because in the old rules, no one would have to play a spell for something to flip, and apparently in Commander that's essentially not possible once you have, like, four people at a table. Mm. So making it a global effect works better in multiplayer magic. But what's annoying in this is whenever you play something that's day-bound and then you kill it, you still have to keep track of when it's day and night. Exactly. Even when there aren't those permanents in play. And, man, is that annoying. Anyway, continue.
1: Yeah. um, Just, I totally agree. Like, I just find this to be... um... Just not as intuitive, I guess, as, like, what I would like. Uh, the Coven mechanic, I know that we maybe had, like, some criticisms of, like, I don't see... If you have Coven activated, it feels like you have that many creatures on the battlefield, you're you're going to be winning or whatever. Uh, in a limited context, it works really, really well. Just because the wraths aren't, like, as wrathy. You know, there's not that many. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I had many, many a time where um, Coven was activated, and I was able to do, you know, whatever the mechanic allowed for. So overall, I'm liking the set, man. I like the vibes. I, I always like Innistrad. I think it's a it's a great place to go. I love the themes that they have within it. Um, and uh, as a sealed set, or as a limited set, I find these mechanics to be overall pretty fun.
0: Yeah, and I think Innistrad carries with it a certain weight of at least being a reasonably good limited like uh you know Avi'son restored aside I think all of them have been at least good to pretty good I haven't always like I've liked them but I haven't like I I probably liked Eldritch Moon the most of all the limited sets but like original Mm -hmm. Innistrad people loved and I drafted it a lot I I liked it I would certainly put it as a good set but I don't think it's one of the top three like other people do Uh, But I would say this, it's one of those weird things where the identity of Innistrad is kind of part and parcel with a good limited set. Like, that's what people Mm -hmm. think of. Um, It's kind of like, you don't watch football, but the Baltimore Ravens every year have a good defense. It's kind of part of their identity. And it doesn't kind of matter who's there. For 20 years, they've always had a good defense. Innistrad always uh, seems to have a pretty reasonable limited set. Now, you've hopped into Constructed as well.
1: Yeah, played some standard uh, yesterday and this morning, and trying... This This is the time of year, dude, or, you know, when we've had rotation, there's not, like, any sort of clear definition as far as, like, what's the obvious best deck sometimes that exists, but here we are, and I'm a Bruin, and I'm loving it. Like, uh, I've, I had a Ren and Seven in my sealed pool, and that was... A lot of fun. Like, um, in Limited, it's not, I would say, as good, but if you can kind of use that card and, you know, build something around it, especially with Landfall, I feel like you're in, like, this really interesting, cool place. Um, So I've played both a Jund, Renin Seven, Lotus Cobra deck, and then a Junk Landfall deck as well, using Lotus Cobra. Um, Both of which... I feel like are great because these are just like your straight mid-range decks. I have a ton of planeswalkers I'm playing with um and the removal is just super good and I I feel like we're back to some form of mid-range magic. How long that will last? <laughs> it's a you know, probably like a week and then like oh, here's here's the format defining cards or whatever, but like this week man, I've been having great success. Uh, with like the Renin 7 Lotus Cobra th- kind of combo thing that you can do with that, um, on top of just like netting a lot of great value with like Kaya or Pre- Professor Onyx. Um, I'm trying to think what else I've been using, consuming blob, which is kind of like the um Tarmagoif variant, um, as far mm-hmm. as like what you can do with that, and um, and then just really good, like I said, good removal, binding of the old gods. I think it's going to be an all, like a format all-star, uh, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, and then things like inter, uh, Infernal Grasp have been really, really good. Fateful Absence, um, good, but like that investigate mechanic, it, it is a downside in some ways. But man, overall, I'm loving, I'm loving what I'm playing right now in Standard.
0: Same. So I, I do want to like basically just not have a middle segment and just kind of ruminate on like the decks that we've been seeing um first of all i just want to say this cameron we have not talked about the card memory deluge do you know this card
1: um maybe no so it up. is it
0: is so it's fine because you might not have run into it yet two blue blue for an instant look at the top x mm. cards of your library where x is the amount of mana spent on the spell put two of them into your hand the rest of the bottom of your library in any order flashback for seven yes This is a Curtis card. (laughs) To the extent that as soon as I read it and saw some deck lists with it, I was kind of like, what the kids would say, I'm ride or die with this card. (laughs) I don't care how good the decks are that play this card. It's very likely that as long as Midnight Hunt is standard legal, this card will be in my deck. This is the kind of card that I love to leverage within the context of a Friday Night Magic because it helps me make decisions, maybe leverage my experience a little bit more because I need all the help I can get, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and it also is the kind of control card that lets you play a little bit more toolbox, a little bit more instant speed, the kind of things that, that is my peanut butter and jelly, right? Mm-hmm. So I've been playing blue-black control, and some lists have been floating around, and they are all super diverse, the first one I built, I believe Brian Gottlieb posted, and you can find it on MTG Arena Zone, is very instant sorcery specific, but then it plays that creature card Liar, Leer, where it basically gives all your instants and sorceries flashback, but it says spells can't be countered. That goes for your opponents, too. So mm-hmm. you can't just lock them out of the game with this. You have to basically removal spell everything. And I have found multiple times I would get that in play, and then I could not stop them from burning my face or killing, you know, like it's this huge drawback hmm. um, where then I went to a more traditional blue black control with prof- one Professor Onyx, one the Spider Queen. Is it Loth Yeah. Yeah. And then two of the blue dragon and then give me four memory deluges. Give me whatever else. And off to the races. I have loved playing this deck, Cameron. And it is just a potpourri of me just messing around going, oh, I'm playing against a lot of the mono white and I'm playing against a lot of mono white, like a lot, a lot. So I'll pl- play, you know, uh, Blood Chiefs is a thirst, whatever the one mana removal spell is. I've yeah. never gotten the name of that card right on this show. Right. <laughs> but uh, just tuning blue black. I'm never happy with it. Um, a couple of all stars. Number one divide by zero it is two and a blue return target permanent that costs one or more to its owner's hand so yours or your opponents then it's learn so then i have a lesson sideboard Mm -hmm. and a wish sideboard in the context of a control deck is huge like unbelievable yes it eats up like eight of my sideboard spots but it's unbelievable how much this has bailed me out okay then, the other card that I just think is a total um, poster child for where we were at with Standard. Um, essentially, in all the aggressive matchups, I've been putting Nighthawk Scavenger in. And you'd be forgiven if you have forgotten this card. It is one black black for Vampire Rogue, Flying Death Touch Lifelink, <laughs> one plus star, and it's one plus the number of different card types. So it's kind of like mm-hmm. the pseudo Tarmogoyf. Yep. And... This card was unplayable in the previous standard because everything went way over the top of it, not just kind of over the top. You got Epiphanied, you got ultimatum, you got, like, whatever, right? Now, when I'm playing against the mono green decks, the mono white decks, and I play one of these on turn three, there's a huge pause. Because it just, like, the mono white deck, nothing gets through this. Like, nothing. And it allows you to spend all this time to get set up. Um, so that, like, the I would just say, if you're playing Control, the learned sideboard is much better than it was in previous Constructed. It's really impressed me. But if I, I've had moments where I, they cast a spell, I divide it by zero, bounce back to their hand, get environmental sciences, which is get a basic land out of your deck and gain two life, play that, hold up another divide by zero, do that exact same thing again, mm. And even, like, it's just this massive tempo hit for them. Like, you have time-walked them massively. So, something to look into. Um, so, that's blue-black control. Can we talk about Ren and Seven and how good that card is? Like, I feel like that is driving entire archetypes. Mm-hmm. And I've had moments, and I'm sure you have too, where you just create the tree token, and that's it. That's the game. Yeah. Um. I've seen it mostly in the context of mono green and bant. Okay. Now, are you playing it in green red, Cameron, or is that your sealed pool? Did I misunderstand? That was you? my
1: sealed pool, but I am okay. I am playing it in both this Jun deck and the junk deck um, with Lotus Cobra, and like that combo, I think works really really well. Um, but I'm also trying to be cute with like how many lands can I get out with with Ren and Seven, and then Lotus Cobra absurd amounts of mana, right? So that's what I'm trying to do. Um, I've gotten it to work a few times, but that being said, I just even having a Lotus Cobra and putting two lands onto the battlefield is not nothing, right? So I think there is some potential there.
0: I would also say that some of the shells for previous strong cards are not as good as I thought they would be because there's better checks and balances. So for example, specifically I'm speaking about All Runs Epiphany and Goldspan Dragon. Mm. There have been many times where my opponent is clearly kind of generating value for their All Runs Epiphany and then you just counter it and then it's like, it's amazing how much work goes into something and it doesn't do it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot more stuff. Maybe it's just the blue-black control I'm playing. The Goldspan Dragon still is a top, Five probably card in this format but it is not the defining card like i thought it would be because of soul shatter because of infernal grass because of there's so many things that just kill it on the spot and you know like if you just play nighthawk scavenger or two spider queen spiders or on and on like there are a lot of things that just block it yeah and then it looks kind of embarrassing legion angel is another one that the mono white deck plays um It's really not impressed me as much. It's still good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. it's bad. Like, if you're playing a Goldsman Dragon deck, you're probably doing it right. But I don't think we're going to go two weeks from now and go, man, All Runs Epiphany is destroying this format. It's super terrible. You just kind of forget how much in the context of old standard it was mattering because you would, you know, pump up your sagas and get another emergent yeah. ultimatum and like you basically it, yeah, yeah you, would, you would crank up your engine one more time and there doesn't appear to be that now this morning I did see there is an infinite mana combo in standard with an artifact and the new Teferi um, I don't know how good that's going to be but just you know beware hmm. of that right um, so Cameron are you gonna so the, the deck that I've like, been thinking about and that I thought Cameron's gonna definitely try this is Blue Black Delver. Have you seen this?
1: Oh, no. I haven't. I mean, let's... uh, let's, I gotta go find it.
0: So, it is... Um, it is a... Obviously, a Delver deck. But it is... Um, maybe a little bit more control than you would think. It also plays with Sedgemore Witch. Mm. Which is your young pyromancer um, yeah. variant that I know you have liked very much. Um, and... There's also this new card Poppet Stitcher, which creates those decayed 2-2 tokens yeah. uh, that, you know, obviously decayed is quite a bit worse in some ways. Um, I've played against this, and it's it's interesting to rethink about Delver in the context of Standard. So Delver was at one point the best deck in Standard. I think this was before you were playing, right?
1: Just before, yeah.
0: And calling it a Delver deck was a little misleading because really it was a Snapcaster Mage deck. Like that's what made the deck like crazy good. Yeah, you could have these turns where, you know, I play, you know, three delvers and two turns and they all flip and then you're dead. Like you could get into those like weird, wacky things. But really it was leveraging all the power blue because Jataxian probe, mana leak, vapor snag, and snapcaster were all in that format together. (laughs) And then you added Restoration Angel to the to the mix to like yeah. blink any of these things. So it was Delver was in the deck, but I don't think he was as key as you might be led to believe. Um, and he's a little bit more front and center, but I think it's easy to think of Delver as what it is in Legacy, mm-hmm. and not what it was in Standard, if that makes sense. So um, I, I want to try this. I just want to send it to you, Cameron, and know that you're going to try it as soon as I said Sedgemore Witch.
1: Absolutely, yeah,
0: <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's any good, but we're counting on you. The listeners are counting on you, Cameron.
1: Can do, can do. <laughs>
0: um, all right, man, any other thoughts on this like exciting new standard?
1: I, I mean, no, it's it's going to just be a breath of fresh air in so many ways. Uh, i'm I'm very much looking forward to it. And I am also looking forward to the fact that, Standard 2022 was it was getting really kind of defined by last week, even where it's like, okay here's here's like kind of the format definers. And I really do feel like Innistrad has brought an injection of diversity that I wasn't expecting. Um, And here we are. I'm excited.
0: Yeah. and, And like I said, it is worth going back through. Strixhaven and Adventures in the Forgotten Realm, and looking at some of these cards, I think we people have so written off Strixhaven, and I've been blown away by the Wish sideboard. Like, blown mm. away at how <laughs> strong it is. So it's something, if you're playing a long play deck, like, really think about that. You know, I've seen some with the ramp uh, card, the it's I think it's called Field Trip, and that's been really good in those uh, ramp uh, decks as well. So something something worth considering is maybe hitting Scryfall and going back through those old sets. Yeah, I would also say you psychologically, as well as me and all other Magic players, have gotten into our heads so many of the limitations. Someone else said this on a different podcast. and I apologize. I can't source it. But whenever you look at an X two, you've been instantly writing it off for like a year and a half <laughs> because there's a certain certain giant who shall remain un- unnamed who made. All of those, incredibly unplayable, mm-hmm. right? Even something's like Sedgemore Witch, you should yeah. not have played that card in previous standards, right? And now it's just like, oh, those shackles are off a little bit. If someone wants to actually play a burn spell, they have to do it at the cost of another card. They don't instantaneously get a, a free two for one, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it oh, is amazing. Yeah. Like when those come off, you're like, oh my gosh, I can go long now. I don't have to worry about being ultimatum. Mm-hmm. Right? So, it, it's huge. All right. So, Cameron, let's get out of the segment, come back, and talk about what else we've been up to. Mm-hmm. All right, Cameron. So, you've been living that gaming PC life. Mm-hmm. You have entered the death loop. Is that correct?
1: This is correct.
0: Uh, and this game has been getting... I mean, I would say astounding reviews. Yeah. Looks l- looks like it's gonna be slam dunk game of the year. I mean, that's like <laughs> where we're at. So do you mirror those thoughts?
1: Yeah, man, I do. Like I mean I-, I would say it took it took a good You have to get through the um the very beginning intro and kind of learn some of the systems that are happening within the game. Um about two and a half hours after i did my first real loop my real loop um the game clicked in a way that is just incredible like (laughs) i think it's just super super fun so the entire premise of the game it's groundhog's day essentially so like you you have four day cycles there's a morning you know mid-morning, afternoon, and evening, essentially. And different things are happening along di- different ways. And the entire point of the game is to um, kind of assassinate these people to end the loop. And so that's the entire game. But you have to do everything within the given day. Otherwise, it resets. And all these people aren't in the same places. So part of the, the strategy is trying to figure out how to get person X to go to like to place z so that you can off both of them at the same time and then that would cause like eventually that will cause somebody else to not show up at a certain place to be at another place so it's like this weird domino effect and you can kind of approach it however you want Um, this is by the team that did arcane studios so um dishonored which was also like one of my favorite games of that previous generation um, this feels kind of like Dishonored in so many ways, and what I love is like Dishonored, like you had like two playstyles. You could go in guns a blazing and kill the people, but the world state would kind of eventually devolve into plagues and all of that, or you could play the the good route and have a, a different ending that's kind of condensed within Deathloop, but it really just encourages you to just be like this murderous rampaging person and find the most hilarious ways to off people and so it has like these great systems that it's kind of like um hitman where you can kind of chain things based off of like how the world state happens it's hilarious and super fun um i cannot recommend this game enough i'm about seven hours in Um, and I've kind of did my first loop where I was able to kind of like off four people. You're supposed to off nine people at once and whew man, super fun, super rewarding, gratifying. I cannot recommend this game enough.
0: So I'm like 45 minutes in, uh, and, uh, so I've completed the first area, which I know is still not out of the tutorial Mm -hmm. and, um, Look man, this is the studio right now. I think yeah. Dishonored 2 was a misfire in that. It kind of expected you to be at this really high level like kind of from the jump. Um mm-hmm. so I played Dishonored 1 all the way through on peaceful or whatever they're like low chaos, I think. Yeah. And uh but I kind of have this view of the first dishonored is like really perfect, and it did. It, there's a lot here that is in dishonored, where dishonored you have to spend a bunch of time learning the systems yep. in order to take advantage of them. What what not enough people talk about is the DLC for the first dishonored was out of this world good, like really, really, really good. And that's where you play as the guy that killed the queen for uh, mm. basically mm-hmm. like eight hours worth. And I mean, Cameron, I know it's hard to believe, but Dishonored was not the previous generation. It was two generations ago. Holy cow, on the, you're right. It was on the PS3. <laughs> it
1: mean, was the PS3.
0: <laughs> so, like, uh, it came out the same day as XCOM, which wow, is still crazy. just, like, mind-blowing, right? Uh, Dishonored 2 came out on last-gen systems. Um, but this game just screams confidence, you mm-hmm. know? like, um, And it kind of makes you wonder why, like, a lot of people that have played Prey really love that game. But how that game just did not get the same kind of reception because dude, that game was really good too. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. I and they all have this through line, and what I would say about this specifically uh versus something like returnal is the when you use the expression loop, I think it makes you feel like it's more of a roguelike than
1: it is. Sure, yeah. Uh
0: this is much more Um, I mean, and I'm 45 minutes, but I've also heard a lot of people talk about it and like how it's structured. Yes. Yes. There is a Groundhog Day element to it, but it's not like you get nothing out of the failure state. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I I do want to highlight that like it feels a lot more like because in the first two whatever scenarios loops I've been through, they're like, we need you to accomplish this mission objective. Which is just not a thing in roguelikes, right? It's it's constantly yeah. like just go as far as you can. So yeah. Anyway, dude, it's already screaming special to me. Uh, yeah, looks good too. Like,
1: Yeah, I was gonna say graphics looks great. I love the soundtrack. It has like this weird like sixties party vibe, like uh, Brit pop sort of thing. Um, it's good. I'm digging it.
0: It also has the Hitman two. Like or I should say the new Hitman series, like, these people are really terrible. So don't feel bad. Yeah. Like, they they definitely give you the leash to just be like, hey, man, you do you because these guys, they've not just kind of got it coming. They've really got it coming. So you know what I mean? You kind of get that nice carte blanche, like, you know, there's no moral gray here. Uh you are yes a bad guy but these are worse bad guys so you know make it happen <laughs> um and that that's kind of refreshing i will say the vibe if you like the vibe the uh, wolfenstein 2 also has mm. very much this similar thing going on and i think in some ways executes it a little bit better because there's that whole layer of you know german controlled americana within that nazi mm-hmm, 60s mm-hmm. thing and it, they, there's a little bit more of a layered vibe to it than this, but uh, it does remind you of it, and it's such a strong... But this also has kind of a, you know, pulp... Not the literal movie, Pulp Fiction, but kind of a pulpy... A pulpy thing
1: going on, for sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so, Cameron, almost always we recommend things that we love, uh-huh. right? I want to just talk about this documentary called Schumacher. Have you seen the previews <laughs> for this? No. <laughs> Do you know who Michael Schumacher is? Um, he's Googling. He's a race car driver. It's okay that you okay, don't Okay, yeah, I don't. I don't. So, uh, as a recent convert to F1, um, and by the way, F1, I found out, I am not alone in this, that they have jumped in ratings 50% year over year for the last three years because of the Netflix series.
1: That's impressive. Wow.
0: So, they've had this huge ratings jump. I was playing at a Flesh and Blood pre-release last night and a guy saw that I was wearing an F1 hat and like had a lengthy conversation to me about it. Uh, And there's a great article in The Atlantic that is basically why Americans love F1 so much. And basically it's because of the honesty of of the sport in that. You know, American sports, they kind of oh, we're for the city. We're like they treat it like these sports organizations are non for profit organizations that you're kind of born into, like I view being a Chiefs fan or a Royals fan, right? Yeah. And and they're like, Americans really find it refreshing that F1 is honest. That hey, these are just money making companies. So and so is just a driver because his dad is a billionaire. Like it's just <laughs> like they're just straight up with you, and it's like yeah. really refreshing. Well, that is the netflix documentary and i know you don't take in any of these sports documentaries but like hbo has a behind the scenes documentary about the nfl and it is so phony dude it is Mm. so like covered in sugar and just oh look at how great the f1 like or, or how great the nfl is they'll like tour their facilities on this documentary and stuff like it's barfy okay yeah yeah So anyway, Netflix has had this really refreshing take on it, and so then they decide to do a documentary on what is conceived to be the greatest racing driver of all time, Michael Schumacher, okay? And I, as a recent fan, don't know a ton about him, so I was like, this is going to be great, right? I'm going to learn a lot about this guy who's essentially the Michael Jordan of his sport. And the documentary is so reverent and so light on actual information – that I found myself multiple times checking Wikipedia <laughs> to like know what they were talking about. So he's ended up being like, you know, kind of severely injured and because he had a ski accident after his career and they don't show him. And that's fine. Right. Because, it's like, you know, he's not apparently capable yeah. of speaking. And I respect that. But like, dude, he's won seven championships. They basically cover two in this whole thing. And then they yada, yada, yada the next six. And so I had to go on go- like Wikipedia and be like, what years did he win? Who did he beat? So it's like mm. some of the footage is spectacular. And it just, it's unfortunate that the narrative structure of the documentary, like if you were to sit down and watch it, you wouldn't say, this is a lazily made thing. Yeah, It's just so short on the actual information. It really bummed me out. Um, as someone who didn't know. Whereas like, if you didn't know anything about Michael Jordan and you watched The Last Dance, I feel like you would learn a lot about it.
1: Right? Sure, yeah.
0: Even though maybe that was a little overly reverential too. Um, anyway, so Cameron, if someone would like to get a hold of you and talk to you about the best sports documentaries for you to watch, where could they find you?
1: It's all on Twitter, at Cameron underscore McCoy.
0: <laughs> he won't watch them, by the way. <laughs> I am at Curtis now. Our official show feed is at SpikeBeatMTG. We'll check you guys next week.